developing artistic skill or developing any kind of skill really doesn't depend so much on the tools as it does on your understanding of how to use the tool. The more experience you gain, the more of a difference having a, f- a better tool makes. But for the, for the beginner, there's no difference between a crayon and a really, really nice pen because the way that they use the tool is still very crude and developing. Yeah. Hello, Rachel. Hey, Ben. What are you doing? I'm recording a podcast. Oh, right. So I think people would be interested to know what you were doing before. Before uh, recording? Before before we started recording. Yeah. Just today? Yeah, just today. Yeah. Um, well, I worked a little bit on, I've been learning a writing program called Scrivener. And yes. so I worked a lot on that uh, today. And then I took a little bit of time to to work on something that I don't normally have a lot of time to, which is sewing. So Sewing? Mm-hmm. Like sitting down and with a needle and thread and like... No, I was using the sewing machine. Wait, you have a sewing machine? Mm-hmm. So you sat down. Where, where do you keep the sewing machine? In my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> it's my closet office. <laughs> I, did you... <laughs> I've never heard that term before. Clawfish. Yeah. So you have a sewing machine. What but do you have do you have it on a table or something? We Yeah, it's a table that you actually built for me. Oh yeah. A few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I built a, a sewing table for you. And because I had nowhere to work on my sewing stuff and yeah, and then you just abandoned the sewing machine for two years. Well, no, I didn't. I I do it I make gifts for Christmas and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm just you know, giving you a hard time. It's hard to find time. You don't, yeah, you don't get to do it very often. So this week you got to take a sabbatical week, mm-hmm. take a week off of your work, which a little foreshadowing here. We're going to talk about that in an episode coming up. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the sabbatical week. So yep, don't miss that one. But this is a week that you use to do some things that are alternative to your work. Mm-hmm. And Today you chose to do some sewing, which is really cool. What were, what were you working on? Well, so another of our boys is about to start kindergarten. And uh, back when the oldest started, I I did these reusable napkins and handkerchiefs. And then I embroidered pictures from everybody in the family on those handkerchiefs and napkins so that when they went to school, it was sort of like they were taking us with them. And so I have been trying to get those done, but I just haven't had the time. So I think they're probably going to start with only one each because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all I'm going to have time to do. But these these reusable napkins and handkerchiefs are made out of old T-shirts that we used to sell with our band. And then we had to change our name and we had all of this, you know, all yeah. of these T-shirts. So Yeah, that's a story for another time. Yeah. But- but yeah, you've been you've been using this stuff. So we have various items. Mm-hmm. I think you even used some of it to make some bibs. Yes. Uh huh. 
and blankets for right. babies and yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. Cool. Well, I just hung out with the boys this morning. Yeah. Well, the other thing I did this Sabbath was I took each of them for like an hour and hung out with them. Oh yeah. That was really cool. Yeah. I enjoyed doing that. I wonder if there's anything from your experience with hanging out with them that comes into play in this episode. Yeah, possibly. They're they're really cool kids. They are. They're so they're so cool. Um well, let's go ahead and dive in. Okay. Before before we get into the topic, I had asked some questions. The topic today is knowing how and when to support your child's interests. And I always get in the chat at shawnawest.com slash community. Mm-hmm. There's a chat there filled with really super cool people. And I always get in the chat beforehand and I'll ask for questions. And this time I asked a couple of questions just to kind of generate some mm-hmm. conversation. And one of the questions I asked was, what experience have you had with your parents and your interests? Were they supportive? Did you have to figure did you have to figure it out on your own? And this was a question for everybody. Uh-huh. I didn't necessarily direct this just at uh, people who have children. So I got a lot of really great answers. Aaron answered and he said, my mom was very encouraging about music and reading. They weren't supportive about entrepreneurship and he has in parentheses no experience. So I had to learn about that on my own. And then he has in parentheses from people online. Hmm. Sean McCabe says, very supportive. My dad wanted to get me into programming. He's a a database administrator. Always had hopes of a family business one day, but I was more interested in IT at the time. He taught me some, but didn't push it too much. Pablo answered and he said, for hobbies, my parents kind of let me do whatever I wanted and showed financial support, but very little interest. For work slash entrepreneurship, they've always been very supportive and interested in zero financial support. And he says, I, I think I just won some insight on my parents' behavior while I was writing this. Hmm. <laughs> interesting. That's what writing does. Yeah. That is interesting. So they, they weren't very interested, a little bit financially supportive of his hobbies, very interested, but not financially supportive of his work slash entrepreneurship. I might have to take some notes on that. I wonder if there's something to that. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll talk about that later in the episode. Charla answered and said, my family wasn't particularly supportive of mus- of my music, saying it was too hard to get a job teaching music until they realized it was it really was my heart. And it took even longer for my mom to realize I had actually learned a thing or two about taking pictures. But thankfully, my husband was 100% supportive so I could tune her out. I could tune out her lack of support better when she saw that we were truly excited about what we were truly excited about and had a naturally propensity toward something she would get behind us, but she wasn't always as aware of our hearts as she thought she was. Hmm. So I kind of wanted to bring our personal experiences into this conversation as well and answer the same question. So what, what do you remember of how supportive your parents were of your interests and, you know, as, as interests evolved and that kind of thing? Well, I don't think my interests ever evolved. Like I remember wanting to be a writer since I was a little kid, but 
Um, but my mom was extremely supportive. She's a librarian and, you know, anytime I wanted to sit down and write stories, she provi- provided the paper and all of the things that I needed. And she actually kept a lot of those in like this little storage box underneath her bed for a yeah. long time. And she still has some of them. So, but she's given some of them to me and they're pretty funny. But, uh, and then as far as the music is concerned, she, you know, she was a single mom for a long time. So we didn't really have money for me to have lessons or anything like that, but she was very supportive in whatever she could do, um, to pursue that passion too. So, and then like when I went to college, I mean, I, my first year I was on track to major in music and she was so excited about it. And then, you know, even though when you major in music, you can't really do a whole lot with it. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're like a music teacher or something. Um, and then when I switched to English, she was just like, yeah, go for it. You know, like she's just a huge cheerleader. Now, I, I want to bring in a part of the story that I'm familiar with that you didn't really get into. But at one time you were really focused on music mm-hmm. and you you were actually very good at a particular instrument it was the clarinet mm-hmm. and clarinets are n- not cheap no even even the cheap ones are not cheap no so your mom purchased one for you and mm-hmm. i can't remember was this during high school or was it going yeah it was into... my senior year of high school okay was... so your, your senior year of high school she purchases a clarinet for you yeah it was about three thousand dollars yeah and and so i mean that may not seem like a lot of money for some people, but, but I know it was the, huge for her. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then after your first year of college, yeah, you decided to I packed away the clarinet. <laughs> yeah. I didn't do any kind of music after the first semester. So I, I just, I, I see it as a testament to the kind of supportive parent she was that it wasn't, it wasn't about the thing. It wasn't about the money. Mm hmm she was enthusiastic and excited for the thing that you chose for yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like that. When I was young, I had a lot of, well, I I wouldn't say a lot of different theater was probably dramatics. Maybe I can't, really. I can't put my finger on it. I would have never guessed that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, but I really, I really enjoyed movies i they were really magical to me and so i would always try to put on these plays with my younger brother and Mm -hmm. he was terrible Mm -hmm. he was he was the worst actor to work with and you would get so angry yeah i'd get really frustrated i'd I'd be you know ready to show them my stuff and uh and he would totally he would forget his lines and miss his marks and all of that Mm -hmm. but i didn't really have access to or not that i remember I didn't really have access to furthering that interest. I did participate in a play at a local theater when I was, when I was a kid. And then beyond that, whether I lost interest and my parents picked up on that, or it wasn't something that I was able to explore more. And that was part of the reason I lost interest that kind of faded away for me. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, I've always, I've always enjoyed performing. So that comes into play later on when music starts to become an interest for me. And Mm so, so when I started to become interested in music, it was, it was around the same time my parents had divorced and I decided when I was 14 to go live with my dad. 
mm-hmm. and my stepmom. I had just started learning how to play the guitar. I met some other friends who were also musicians and we started a band together. And I don't remember my parents being particularly supportive in the sense that they, you know, bought me the equipment that I needed or anything like that. But but they did make allowances for me to go play shows and to be involved in music related things. And so I was I was supported in that way. And the the friends that I had, I uh and I think this is really important too. The the friends that I had who I was in a band with, their parents were very supportive financially, getting them a lot of equipment and stuff because they saw how serious they were with it. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember whether or not I expressed the seriousness of my uh, interest in music, but I I didn't get the sense that that my parents thought that I was as serious about it as I felt I was. Okay, but here here's the thing that I think about when it comes to whether or not our kids are serious with something is mm-hmm. that we also have the ability to recognize talent. Yeah. And so I feel like as a parent, if my child has a talent for music, I I want to support them in that. I want I want to give them the equipment, which is what my parents or what my mom did, you know, when yeah. I mean, I I have always had a laser focus on what I want. And, and maybe that helped the decision to invest in a $3,000 clarinet. But yeah. at the same time, she also knew that even if she, you know, even if I didn't have that focus, I was super talented. Yeah. So I don't know how obvious that was for my parents to me, it seemed obvious that it was something that was really important to me. And so I think there was a little bit of a disconnect there. I, f- I felt like there was a lack of communication to, to the point where they, they didn't make that connection and become supportive in that way. Now, my friend's parents also kind of treated me like a son. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so you kind of got that I, surrogate. And I, and I, I, I'm kind of this way anyway, but I, I made myself at home yeah, from the very yeah. beginning. And mm-hmm. it was kind of like, who's this kid? He's just making himself at home. Yeah. Going um, into our fridge. and <laughs> Right. I was terrible. Like I would, I would just, I would show up and I didn't like the shirt that I was wearing that morning. So I'd be like, hey, I'm going to borrow the shirt. All right. And um, it, was, it was awful. And, but they, but they were very supportive of their kids, but they also by extension were very supportive of me and the things that I was doing. And, mm-hmm. And so I did get that in other ways too. And this isn't to throw my parents under the bus at all because they were supportive in other ways, maybe not necessarily the ways that I would like for them to have been supportive. But what's also true is that whether there was support there or not, there was nothing that was going to stop me from pursuing music Mm -hmm. because I was so passionate about it. So, so that's kind of our backstory. I, I want to go into the next question that I had, and this was for the parents in the chat room. I said, are any of you struggling with whether or not you should get behind what your kids are interested in? And I don't know why I asked it that way. I think the question is really about, is it the right time? Are they really, are they interested enough? And, and that's really what the focus of the show is. It, how do we know 
when our kids are interested enough in something to really get behind them? How do we know how to support them? Should, should we support them financially or should we kind of hold back on that? Is, is that going to be something that they might perceive as being pushy and then that'll turn them off to whatever they were interested in in the first place? Mm-hmm. So I think, I think all of those questions were kind of spinning in my mind. I like the answers that I got back. Hannah, this is, this is totally us too. And Hannah said, not struggling, just going through paper at an incredible rate. <laughs> Poor trees. Yep. I think so, our eight-year-old writes a book every other day. It's, yeah, the, the amount of paper, it's a good thing we get recycled paper most of the time. Mm-hmm. Most of the time. Well, when I'm shopping. Right. You don't pay attention. <laughs> And then Gabrielle answered and she said, I struggle a bit. My kid loves video games and I really think they're awful. Besides the whole screen time issue, I feel they change his personality after playing. I haven't caught the screen time episode from last week, so it might be touched on in that one. Basically, I don't want to tell him that they're bad, but I want him, I want him to point his laser focus elsewhere. And then she has in parentheses, it's nonstop. He plays 30 minutes a day and talks about it for the next seven hours. Oh, we don't know what that's like. <laughs> yeah. Our eight-year-old is, I mean, that's why we stopped doing video games for a while. Next week's episode, I, and we're going to answer some of that in this episode, Gabrielle, but next week, next week's episode, I think is going to be very helpful. We're going to be yeah. talking about the sticky-brained child. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what that is, you're going to have to check it out. Yeah. And and I would just say, too, that with video games, I personally don't like video games that much because I've never enjoyed playing them. I feel like they're a waste of my time, at least. But they also create these amazing story worlds that can teach kids about what a story looks like, you know? Yeah. So if you, in, in last week's episode, it's at in the boat with com slash 15. We talk about screens and we talk about approaching the subject of screens from the standpoint of your personal values, specifically your values around creating things versus consuming things. Mm-hmm. That makes, that makes the video game conversation very different in nature. I think from our knee-jerk reaction to see them as a, as bad and anything really used the wrong way can be unhealthy mm-hmm. and we definitely if if it seems obvious that something is having an unhealthy effect on our child of course we're going to feel an aversion to it but if we can get on their side see what it is they enjoy about it and find ways to help them use it in a healthy way and this, so that's that's what last week's episode was really about is is having the conversation from a different perspective. So I really encourage you to check that out. All right. Wow, that was that was a lot, and we haven't even gotten into the outline yet. <laughs> Yay! But it, it was so great. I'm, I mean, I'm j- I'm just going to go ahead and take another moment here and say if you haven't checked out the Sean West community, SeanWest.com/community. That's where a lot of this conversation has, uh, that we've just had has come from is the people who are in this community. These are the kind of people who you can bring these questions to. If you're struggling with something, I mean, it's not just about 
your professional work or you as an entrepreneur or you and your day job or whatever. It's really about life and values and these people are top notch. So you owe it to yourself to check it out. So when it comes to the way that we support our children, I, I want us to take our focus off of the specific thing they seem to be interested in. And I want to, I want to approach it from a different angle. One of the things that we need in order to determine whether or not we are interested in something is to be exposed to different things, exposed to different experiences, exposed to culture and art. And, and when we have that kind of experience, when we have that kind of exposure and we, and we see the joy that somebody derives out of something, or we see the result of their work or, or something like that, we, we connect with that and, and we say, you know, that might be something I want to try out. And I feel like that's where many, for children, that's where many of their interests come from. When they see something that, like, like when you see an astronaut going to outer space and you see the news coverage and, and you see the parades and, and those kinds of things, wow, I want to, that, that just seems amazing and awesome and going to a whole other place in, in outer space, that, that's what I want to do. You know, and, and, and so, uh, one of the, one of the things that happened recently, this was a few months back, there was a privately funded rocket that went into outer space and they streamed the, the launch and everything live. And as soon as I heard about it, as soon as I found out about it, I grabbed all the kids and I said, Hey, let's, um, you guys come with me. And we ran up here to the computer so that we could watch it together. Yeah, I remember that. And it wasn't it wasn't super interesting. I think it, I think I probably got more out of that experience than they did. Yeah. But that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. And certainly we don't live in a bubble. But I think there are some ways that we tend to get stuck in these rhythms and be in the same places and one of the ways that we can really help our children discover the things that they're interested in to get them in different environments, to get them out of their normal routine from time to time. Mm-hmm. One of the ways that we do that, which is still a part of our routine, is going to the library. Yeah. Because the, and, and I just, I love the way that books can take you to a whole other world. Mm-hmm. And they also teach something. I mean, the eight-year-old comes back with a stack of nonfiction books. I think last year, not last year. It was a few months ago. I checked out a bunch of uh, screenwriting books for him and storyboarding and that kind of thing so that he can learn more about some of his interests. Because I feel like that's a way that we can support our children in their interests and not have to spend money yet. You know what I mean? Because as they learn more about it, they can determine whether or not, uh, I don't know if I really want to work this hard for this. It was Oh, and we're going to get to that too. Oh, okay. <laughs> this was, this was interesting. So our son, Jaden, um, I can't remember what came first. I know, I know at some point we started letting him watch the Star Wars movies, mm-hmm. uh, not the, not the movies, but the cartoons, the Clone Wars. Yeah. Yeah. But I think before that, he and I started reading the Star Wars books together and he started to become really interested in, George Lucas. 
And so he actually checked out a, a book from the library and read about George Lucas and read about the filmmaking process. And he, and, and he approached us one day and said, I want to be a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And I, I, this is, this is an aside that I want to make. Maybe it should be a main point really, but when our children are young and, and, and Jaden's eight, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily consider him young when it comes to deciding what he's interested in. But well, even, he also is, you know, he's very astute, very yeah, able to know what he wants. Regardless of what age our children are, no interest is superfluous. And so, so the kid who is four years old and says, I want to be an astronaut, that's cute. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to acknowledge that that is cute. But I also want to encourage us as parents not to just leave it there, to, to go a step further and say, you know what, there's no reason you couldn't be an astronaut. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really true. And to allow yourself to enjoy the cuteness of it, but also take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Don't just, and then five minutes later, they might say, oh, I want to be the president of the United States. And I think that's something that happens is we see how grandiose their dreams are and, and we see them kind of bouncing from one thing to the other. And so we tend to just not take it seriously. Yeah. But I think another thing that happens is sometimes we as parents have had those grandiose dreams. They didn't work out or, you know, life took a turn and we forgot how to dream big. And so we, we, we forgot to give ourselves permission to do that. Yeah. We try to be more realistic about it. Um, I was also going to say here that sometimes when they have dreams like that, like our, um, our five-year-old for a long time wanted to be Batman. And so that, I mean, I ask them every year on their birthday, I have this whole questionnaire that I write into a journal, um, just as like, you know, something that we get to look back on and see what they answer. And one of the questions is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And for, I guess the last three years, he said Batman. And so sometimes it's just a matter of looking below the surface of that answer. So what does Batman do? He protects people from bad guys, you know? Yeah. So maybe he'd be interested in learning more about, you know, law enforcement or he also being a has, detective. Or He also has a lot of really cool tech. What? Technology. Oh, yeah. Bat- yes. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you were talking about the five-year-old. I was like, really? What? Oh, no. No, he does not. <laughs> Batman. Simple, yeah. yeah. So, so I think sometimes there's also a deeper desire beneath the surface words of what our kids are saying. Yeah. And that's, that's something that, that's a connection that we can make that we might see them bouncing from one thing to the other, but that might be the common thread, whatever mm-hmm. it is that's underneath that. That might be the common thread that strings all of those things together. Yeah, and it's kind of exciting because we get to be the detec- detective of that, you know? Mm-hmm. We get to see what they bounce from one thing to another, or or we get to see the thread that connects all of those bouncings together. Yeah, so so here's the fun thing with Jaden. So he said he was interested in being a filmmaker, and... Looking back, and this was around Christmas time, and looking back, I wonder if maybe I was a little bit overzealous. I was, <laughs> I was very excited for him. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's awesome. And, and we, we bought him some things for Christmas that filmmakers could use. You know, we got him a whiteboard where he could do some storyboard stuff. Mm-hmm. We 
and and I made a folder for him with his name and I lettered, you know, hand lettered kind of a logo for him mm-hmm. as as a filmmaker and did all this stuff. And we also bought a bunch of books about filmmaking from the uh, bought. We borrowed a bunch of books about filmmaking from the library and he read about zero of those. And he has made about zero storyboards on his whiteboard thing. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing is one of the storyboarding is a really key component. And one of the things I was trying to teach him, he just, he wanted to jump straight into, I I just want to shoot something on a camera and be able to watch it. And that was his idea of filmmaking. So I was trying to explain to him, well, you got to start with a story. You need to write it out. And then you need to decide what kind of shots you need to take. Again, probably me being a little bit overzealous. Yeah. Um, but one of the things he started to do naturally, he's also very interested in books that are written in more of a comic format. Graphic novels, yeah. Right. And so when he, he, he was so interested in those, and I was seeing just every day he was writing his stories and drawing out these comic frames and, and arranging his stories that way. And that's something that he's continued to do over and over. So whether, whether he uses that eventually as a part of filmmaking or not, that's a skill that he's developing. And that's something that he seems to be very interested in. And so he might, he might say, I'm interested in filmmaking, but I also need to pay attention to what he's doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes Sometimes the thing that we say that we're interested in when we start working toward it leads us to the thing that we really feel passionately about. And having that initial goal or goals, however many, ended up being the path that got us there. So a really important thing that we can also do as parents is just allow our child time to explore. And this is something that uh, see, I feel like these are all connected. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip over to something because I, I wanted to say this. In the beginning, when they're first exploring an interest, the tools don't matter so much. Basic tools are necessary. And so when I'm talking about giving your child time to explore, what I mean by that is, is yes, give them the time, but also provide some of the basic resources. And so... For us, a lot of that has to do with books and the things that they can learn from those books. But some of it is having some basic art supplies, having some basic instruments, and and just having having those things available to them so that they can explore those things. And so Jaden will spend a ton of time drawing and, and writing, but he'll also spend some time on the piano every once in a while. And so we're, we're leaving all of these open doors for him. Mm-hmm. It's not the nicest piano. The, the paper's not like, you know, really not, high quality yeah. paper. He doesn't mm-hmm. have high quality pens or pencils. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's just what he needs to get started. And that's the thing. Developing artistic skill or developing any kind of skill really doesn't depend so much on the tools as it does on your understanding of how to use the tool. 
the more experience you gain, the, the more of a difference having a, a better tool makes. But for the, for the beginner, there's no difference between a crayon and a really, really nice pen because the way that they use the tool is still very crude and developing. Yeah. And this informs how we approach financially supporting. So in your example with, with your mom, it, it was your senior year before she purchased that clarinet for you. But how long had you been pl- playing the clarinet before that? Um, since sixth grade. So that's what, seven years? Yeah. So, so yeah, I guess that kind of shows focus and determination if you've stuck with it for that long. Yeah. And was the clarinet that you were using before that just the school's clarinet? Yeah. I mean, back when I was in high I don't know if they still do it this way, but back when I was in high school, they had an instrument for every kid. Yeah. Because most parents couldn't afford to buy their kids an an instrument like that, you know? Yeah. And again, like I said, the the cheap one isn't cheap, but there was there was also some interest in music that you probably developed even before you started playing the clarinet. So there were there were things that you were building as a foundation toward what you eventually ended up having as an expertise in a specific instrument. Yeah. That when your mom decided to purchase a really nice one allowed you to express your expertise in a better way. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's the, the balance that we want to strike is it, it doesn't make sense to buy the very nicest tool for somebody who's just starting out and just exploring their interest. You don't, you don't want to think about it as I'm not going to, I don't want to waste my money because it's not, it's not about that, but it's just about being, smart about how you invest. But all of those things that they learn, even with the basic instruments are things that, that add up toward what they will eventually focus on. And as we make investments, that's the mindset that I want us to have as parents. No investment that we make in our children's growth and development, their, their development of their skills and interests no investment that we, we make is wasted. Mm-hmm. Even if you buy something nice and they use it for a week and then drop it, the experience that they had with that thing is going to carry over into the next thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm guessing at this, but I think that your mom thought about things that way. And one could ask, well, well how does, what does playing a clarinet have to do with writing? Yeah. I think but, it exercises the same part of the brain. Right. For one thing. <laughs> well, it's and when you're playing, especially when you're playing in a band, mm-hmm. a traditional band with the traditional instrument and reading music, you, you're being creative, but you're also being analytical. Mm-hmm. And those are the same muscles that you, you need to use when you're writing. Yeah. And so again, I just, you don't have to necessarily go and chase all of those connections to find meaning, but, but I think the mindset is really where you need to start, that no investment that you make in your child's interests is a wasted investment. I also think that the experiences that you gain from that and, you know, the people you meet because of those interests, all of those things inform each other. And so, you know, when I think about wasted effort, 
Um, my second degree is in journalism and I spent, you know, 12 years of my life doing newspaper stuff. But the things that I learned and the people I met just opened so many doors for me later. Yeah. And the, the techniques that I learned and the disciplines that I learned, I mean, they were all super valuable to where I am now. You know, I'm just now realizing that sometimes we do this thing to ourselves as adults where if we change careers or we change course or we focus on a different type of skill, we treat it sometimes as if we've wasted all of this other time before, all of these other connections and relationships and mm -hmm. skills that we're, we're starting from scratch. And that mindset can be very crippling. Mm-hmm. And what's more often the case is, is that all of the things that you, even if you're moving into a completely different industry, you carry those experiences with you. Some of those relationships might work differently in the new industry, but could still work for you as, as a part of your network. Mm -hmm. And, and just that having that mindset, demonstrating that mindset as a parent that no, no experience, no investment is wasted that it's, it's all something that is useful, that is, that is contributing toward the, the future. If, if we can give our children that kind of mindset, I think we can help them to avoid having that experience when they, if they change fields or industries or whatever in the future, help them to have a more healthy relationship with those changes and, and carry over those experiences and make them useful for them in whatever they do. Yeah. And I think whenever our kids become teens, there's just so much pressure on teens now to know what they want to do and to, you know, to make the decision, do I want to go to college? Do I not want to go to college? And all of these things. And I, I just, I think that if we can expose them to the mindset of whatever I choose is not going to be a mistake because they've seen that in the way that they pursue their interests then yeah. I feel like that can be really helpful to them. Because I think one of the pressures that I felt graduating was I, I need to know exactly what I want to do with my life and mm -hmm. I need to have it mapped out. And my first like month of college, I changed majors three times because I, I was so intent on getting the right one, you know, but when it really doesn't even matter now. Yeah. I really, I really love the way that, that Sean talks about this on the Sean West podcast. When we're faced with many different options, a lot of times it feels like it's 360 degrees of options and anything that we choose necessarily is causing us to walk in the opposite direction or away from any other option that we could have chosen. Mm -hmm. And really it's more like all of, all of the options lead to the same place. We're just, you know, we're walking on a path and, and then if we decide to shift, we, we might change lanes, but we're still walking in the same direction. Mm -hmm. And, and thinking about things that way, I mean, I'm, I'm as a 33 year old man, I'm still dealing with the echoes of that kind of pressure. Mm -hmm. You gotta, yeah. you, you gotta pick something and it's going to be for the rest of your life. I keep on having to tell myself, no, that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. We can always shift and adjust. Right. But yeah. And, and I think that for us who grew up with parents who weren't entrepreneurs and weren't maybe supportive of that part of our lives, 
it's a really hard thing to be able to embrace that mindset. Yeah. So, so I can, I want to be careful because I, I don't want to put so much of the responsibility on the, the parent yeah. to, to the point where you feel a little bit fearful and like, Oh, I don't, you know, I don't want to mess this up <laughs> because it, you know, like I said before, yeah. Raising kids is also like that, you know, you shift and grow and change. Yeah. And, and there was, there's nothing that's going to keep me from pursuing music. Whether I had the support to do it or not, it was something that I was going to do because I felt passionately about it. And mm -hmm. I think that's something that we have to realize about our kids is that they're not they're, the things that they're truly passionate about. They'll find a way to pursue. Mm -hmm. And and really, we just get to be a part of that process with them. Now, I want to I want to get into what I believe is really the the way that we can be the most supportive, and and that is not dealing directly with their interests, not dealing directly with the skills that they need for for their interests, but dealing more with this the the skills and the habits and the values that are peripheral to those things. And so, I'm talking about things like self discipline. Mm -hmm. If we can help our children to develop self-discipline, that serves us in many different areas of life. But when it comes to pursuing our interests, there are always going to be aspects of the things that we're passionate about that aren't really our forte or that, that we don't really enjoy doing. But in order for us to be able to pursue our passion, we need to be able to do. And having self-discipline takes down some barriers because it helps us to, and, and self-discipline really is, it's knowing that you can do something that you, that you, that feels uncomfortable or that you don't really like to do. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, there's, there's kind of this confidence about it. And I liken it to running. Now that I've been running so many times, I know that I could just go out and run three miles but because I know I can go out and run three miles, I know I can probably go out and run six miles mm -hmm. because I know, I know what it feels like to discipline myself beyond the discomfort that I feel. Mm -hmm. And if, if I'm a healthy adult, I'm also connecting that kind of discipline to other areas of my life. If I can, if I can discipline myself to run three miles, I can discipline myself to sit down and write this thing, you know? And, and so Hopefully we're making those connections as well. Yeah. That's an incredible gift to give our children, something that they can use toward the pursuit of their interest in a way that makes it more effective. And focus is also another one of those things, the ability to tune out other distractions and, and just focus on a single task. Mm -hmm. That's a hard one for kids too. <laughs> yes, it is. Patience is a big one. And... And patience, when I, when I think about patience, I think about art specifically when you're painting something or if you're drawing something, the, the amount of time that you take. So, and, and I'm, I'm this way. Sometimes I have the picture in my head and I, and I, I'm so eager to see it on paper that I'll just sketch it out as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And the more patient you can be as an artist the more you can get into the details of the work and even to the point where you're allowing yourself 
to complete something over several sittings instead of just saying, well, I got to get this done in one sitting. Mm -hmm. The ability to abandon something for a little bit and come back to it. And I would say for for Jaden, that's something that's very challenging for him right now. He really, when he starts something, he wants to get it done then. Mm-hmm. And he's he also is a little bit impatient. So that patience can really help when it comes to, and, and it helps also in developing the skill because it takes a lot of patience and perseverance to practice something and really get good at it. Yeah. Because that takes a lot, it just takes a lot of time. And I think he does well with the practicing part. I think it's the, when he sits down, to do something he really wants to finish it and he has a hard time putting it away yeah when it's no longer time to do it and that i I feel like that's a skill that we can help our kids be okay with also and develop because the reality is when we're pursuing those creative activities we don't just get to do them you know at a what was i gonna uh, unlimitedly i guess is what you would say well okay so and and part of that patience is the certainty that you'll be able to come back to it, that you'll be able to pick up where you left off. And I think for our children, it's scary sometimes because they don't have the same relationship to time that we do as adults. Mm-hmm. So when they have to leave something, even though it's not, they know it's not forever, but it feels like, oh, I'm, it's going to be so long before I get to come back to this. It feels like they're abandoning something and leaving it behind. And it's, and it's something that they're, they're not going to be able to get back to until the distant future. Mm-hmm. And so part of what we can do is help ease that fear and come alongside them and maybe help them develop their, their construct for time and understand, you know, t- tomorrow isn't forever, but really that the practice of that, having that experience over and over is what develops that patience. And then the the last one that I have under this, although we could probably go into several different ones that are peripheral to pursuing interests, but this one I feel is really important. That's the ability to rest, the ability to, and it's somewhat connected to the last one we talked about, but it's, it's the ability to walk away from our work, walk away from our interests and, and take some time to reflect and rest and, and maybe explore other things. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we're going to talk a, a lot more about when we get to the sabbatical episode. Mm-hmm. But I don't do my best work when I don't allow myself to rest. I don't find as much fulfillment in the things that I'm interested in when I don't purposefully take time away from them. And it's, I, I wonder if part of it is that the whole absence makes the heart grow fonder thing. But even the things that we really love, we can get burnt out if we don't allow ourselves to rest periodically. Mm-hmm. And so we want to help our children to avoid that by teaching them how important rest is and the role that it plays in them being able to do their best work. We should give them a sabbatical week from school. Can we do that? I'm just kidding. I mean, we could, we can do whatever we want. We're the parents, but yeah, I don't know that we would want to <laughs> after this summer. So that's where certainly we, we want to 
be balanced about how and when we support their interests directly. But the way that we can be most supportive as parents is helping them to develop those skills that are peripheral to their interests. Because if those things are in place and those things are really strong and healthy, their interests are going to benefit from, I mean, think, think about having, having those four in place that we talked about, the self-discipline, the focus, the patience, and the rest. And being armed with those, no matter what you go into, that's worth way more to me than a $3,000 instrument mm-hmm. or a $10,000 instrument or whatever. Having, having those four things in place is invaluable. You know, I would add one more to that list personally. Um, I would add grit and grit is like bouncing back from disappointment. Yeah. Because I feel like that, um, like when I was in high school and I was doing all the clarinet stuff, I feel like I probably had all of those, maybe not the rest, but I didn't have the grit. If something did not go the way that I wanted, I felt like I should probably just stop playing for the rest of my life, you know? Yeah. And so I feel like something that we can uh, just encourage in our children is knowing, and, and we would we probably need to talk about this in a future episode, but just knowing that one disappointment doesn't mean, you know, the world is ending. Uh, and we have to be careful about the way that we do that and all of that. But um, But grit, I feel like, is one of the most important things that we need, especially if we're, you know, working for ourselves. Grit. Mm-hmm. I like that word a lot. Yeah. It's a gritty word. Is it? Is it? <laughs> All right. There are a few questions that came through the chat that I want to go ahead and bring in. Sharla asks, how do you encourage without pushing? And we, I think we answered this in a couple of ways. One, it, it's, it's really about the mindset that you use to approach that if you feel as a parent that no investment is wasted, your demeanor, your approach to being supportive of your kids is going to feel less, you know, like with strings attached. I think that's where we sometimes get pushy as parents is when it feels like there are strings attached. And that may be a subconscious thing. You you, you may not even be communicating that out loud. Like, hey, I just spent all this money. You got to, you know, <laughs> gosh, there's there's a whole other part of the, conversation that has to do with responsibility because there there is some responsibility that we want to give our children but i if you're going to be supportive i don't ever want for there to be strings attached to the the yeah. way that you support it's it's not my support goes away if you don't do this thing it's it shouldn't be that way at all yeah there's there's a difference between that and helping our children to be responsible but all of that to say that's that's part of the approach. And then the other part of the approach is sometimes our children say they're interested in something or sometimes we assume that they're interested in something, but their actions speak differently. And so it's good to listen to our children, but it's also good to observe our children. What are they, what are they doing with their time? When they have free time, do they naturally gravitate toward a specific activity? And, and just being more in tune with them that way can help us to be, to, to not have false expectations about what they might be interested in. Yeah. Then Brian asked, how do you know that you've passed the point of supporting your child's interest 
like helping with resources like courses or tools or even encouragement, and you're just pushing them because you think it's an interest, but your child lost it. That's a similar question. And I, I brought it in because I, I read it a little bit differently at first when I glanced at it. So I, I think in answering Charlotte's question, we did answer that question. But another, another question that I wanted to bring in was when I read, how do you know that you've passed the point of supporting your child's interest? I think about when our child is so interested in something that they are working and moving beyond any ways that we might be able to support them. For example, they, they are actively pursuing the, the knowledge they need and the skills that they need. Maybe they're even, they're like, I got to go get a job so that I can buy this really nice guitar that I want to get, or I've got to get a job so that I can buy this course so that I can learn even more. And, and when our children are taking that kind of initiative, I, I think it's good to back off a little bit as a parent, not, not back off in terms of being emotionally supportive and there for them, but supportive in the sense that you, you don't necessarily have to be a driving force behind them pursuing their interest anymore. You don't, you don't necessarily have to be an enabler anymore because they're enabling themselves. Ultimately, we want that for them. We want them to feel like they can, are, are capable of supporting themselves and pursuing their interests. But we also, we also want to let them know that we're there for them. Mm -hmm. That, that independence, independence is important. Mm -hmm. Did anybody ask the question? Uh, and the, the background to this is, you know, the whole American idol syndrome. Did any, anybody ask the question, what should you do if your child wants to do something that they're not necessarily good at? Hmm. How do you support that interest, Ben? You know, <laughs> I feel, you know, we, we should save that for another episode because as I'm, as I'm thinking about how I would answer that, yeah, that feels like it could be another episode. Yeah. I'm going to put it in the queue. Okay. Because there's, there's a lot to it. Yeah. So I'm going to leave that one alone for now. What if, what if your child is a terrible singer, <laughs> but, but they but really want to do music, but they really want to do music. They believe maybe, maybe they even believe that they're very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're going to save that for another show. <laughs> That's an enticement to stick around, I guess. Yeah. All right. Rachel. Where can people go to find us online? In the boat with ben.com. That's right. You can go there and check out all of our shows. We've got show notes there. You can also sign up for our email newsletter so that when a show goes out, you get an email in your inbox. It gives you a basic outline of the show, some of the, the quick takeaways and highlights, and a personal message from myself. Yay. That's right. If you want to find Rachel, she is at racheltolson.com. She is also on Twitter at Rachel Tolson, and I'm on Twitter at Ben Tolson. If you want to help out the show, there are a couple of things you can do. You can go to seanwest.com slash community and join. Just do it. If you join the community, you get to listen to this show live and all of the other shows on the network live. 
you get access to the chat room, which is an amazing place filled with amazing people. And you get also, you also get access to the forums and there, there are just many great benefits to being a part of the community, well worth your investment, but it also helps make this show possible. You can also go to in the boat with slash iTunes, and you can leave us a positive review. I'm going to read one. The, the one that I'm going to read today is actually from one of our community members. Oh, okay. This is from Robert Guzzo. The title is Genuine, Thought-Provoking, and Funny. Imagine you are sitting at the kitchen table having coffee with a married couple that you really trust talking about your lives. Oh, that's sweet. They share their insights, tell funny stories, and give great advice without ever pushing their viewpoint on you. At the end of your visit, you feel armed with new ideas, a fresh perspective, and energy. That is how I feel every week when I visit with Ben and Rachel. I, lo- I love that, when I visit with Ben and Rachel. Yeah, that's awesome. In the Boat with Ben is one of those rare podcasts that feels more like a conversation than a show. Every week, Ben and Rachel honestly discuss their thoughts on parenting and the meaning of family. They present family life in three dimensions within the full context of their work, their relationship with each other, and the realities of raising a large family. Rachel has a wealth of resources and knowledge and is perfectly complemented by Ben's heart wisdom. Heart wisdom. I kind of feel like crying right now. Ben and Rachel have a gentle chemistry filled with humor and genuine compassion for each other and their children. Their parenting style is infused with their personal values, and they never take an us-versus-them approach, recognizing that the whole family is in the same boat, but never forgetting that someone has to steer. Even if you don't have children, this show will provide you valuable insights into human nature, personalities, and finding balance in your own life. Everyone should join Ben and Rachel for a conversation over coffee. Wow, Robert. Thank you. That's like such a sweet, I don't know. I'm, I'm all emotional now. So yeah. I need to, I need to send these to you when we get them. That's, yeah. that helps, that helps us out. It helps out the show. It helps people who are considering whether or not they should listen to the show, but it's, it's very encouraging for us. Mm-hmm. So we, we really appreciate that. Would appreciate you if you do that. All right. Well, thank you guys for hanging out with us today. And we will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Maybe we should save this for the episode where when we talk about when your kid uh, really wants to do something, but they're really bad at it. Yeah. But, um, but I'm kind of curious, was there anything for you? Like, was there ever anything that you were bad at doing? No, I was always good at everything. I'm just kidding. I did go through a stage, which is just weird to imagine, but I went through this stage where I wanted to be an actress and like I planned out. My, I think I was maybe a sophomore in college 
And I got a part in Anne of Green Gables and just like fell in love with acting. And I say it's weird because I'm an incredible, an incredibly uh, shy introvert, you know? And so, so, you know, performing in front of that many people, I mean, today, maybe I became more introverted as I got older, but today, like that makes me want to throw up. Um, yeah. Well, but but my parents didn't say something like, "Hey, you're not really good at this" or anything. It was more myself. I knew that that was not the path for me. Yeah. So I think it was. I think it was more of a like glamorous kind of thing. Like, oh, I want to be an actress, you know? Because when you're a kid, you imagine that those things. I was also in love with this actor named. Uh, I'm not really sure how to pronounce it, but Devin. Sawa, I think is how you say it. He Devon was Sawa. He was in the what was it called the that film that was so terrible. That, yeah, he was in like, that film. Well, the one with the guy Ben. Seriously, you know what I'm talking about? The one where they were supposed to die on a plane, and then like death came to get them. Oh, what was that final, one called? Final Final Destination. Destination. Yes, he was in yeah, that one. That and actually, it. like I wrote him a letter, and he wrote back, and so oh. I was all like, "Oh, I'm in love. I'm going to be an actress." <laughs> so that oh, was man. kind of the silly yeah that could have been a much different life tra- trajectory <laughs> oh yeah uh, yeah i try i try not to dwell on that too much the the different paths my life may have taken <laughs> depending on what decisions i made like if There's, we had met each other now no wait what 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 is the exercise we sometimes do like if we had met each other in high school or something, well, it probably would have like ruined us. From... You didn't like me at first. Yeah, I know. I mean, we did. I so liked we, you. We, we were met. friends. And I didn't like you as you anything didn't... more than a friend. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you thought I was irresponsible. Mm-hmm. And definitely. You're, you were going to drag me down. <laughs> yeah, definitely not boyfriend material. That's a terrible thing to say. Um. You grew, I, I you knew. grew a lot in like three years. I, so. knew. I knew from the moment I saw you mm-hmm. from the moment I saw you. Yeah. We'll tell the story one day of how Ben fell in love with Rachel and <laughs> she didn't fall in love with him. <laughs> I was, um, I, I can't think of anything, but I was in football my sophomore year. I don't know why I, I, I don't know why I wasn't super interested in football necessarily. Mm -hmm. It was fun. I had a really great time. I enjoy exercise and I enjoy playing games and stuff like that much more than, you know, I'm not a statistics guy or a a sports fanatic or anything like that. But playing sports is a ton of fun for me. And, and football was, it was a good experience. I learned a lot from it, but I was not good. I I mean, I didn't memorize any of the plays. I was... (laughs) I, there was this one time we were we were running plays and I was supposed to the, the the offense was running plays during practice and I was supposed to be a placeholder for one of the defensive positions and so I was standing kind of in the backfield and every once in a while like you know one of the one of the plays the guys would pass me but it would it would I'm just there for a reference point for them you know yeah so I'm not really doing anything and all of a sudden I, I notice, and I, I must have just been 
you know, in a daze or, or daydreaming or something, but I notice everybody's crowded around me and coach walks up to me and he taps me on the helmet and he says, Tulson, Tulson, are you okay? And, and I said, yeah, I'm fine. Apparently my, my helmet had one of those, the, you know, the crossbar that went down the middle and apparently I'd been staring at it. <laughs> so I was standing there cross-eyed. cross-eyed. <laughs> and, and I don't know how long I was doing that before everybody noticed, I, but it, it stopped the entire practice and they were like, I don't know if Tolson's okay. And that's when you knew it was time to quit football. <laughs> yeah. There was, there was that. And then there was also the, uh, the running in- incident. Oh yeah, where the hurdles tangled around you. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell that story another time. It's time for us to go. All right. <laughs>